Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, Ms. Aida, binaural production engineer Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, monthly co-host Jared Murphy, Author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And new monthly co-host, Kat Baldwin, author of The Forgiveness Workshop. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Penny Barron, and she has written a book called The Oracle of Ur. Thanks for coming on, Penny. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. So, what made you want to write this book? What is it about? Yeah. Um, so, quite a long time ago, uh, about 11 and a half years ago now, I started having this series of dreams that were really tormenting me. Um, I, You know, in between the dreams, I couldn't sleep. And I went through this stage of just, I don't even know what to call it. It was so hardcore. Um, this was when my youngest son was very little. Um, I didn't know what the dreams meant. And then this whole series of events happened um, that made me realise that the dreams were a little bit more than dreams and they were really super vivid and they felt like memories. So um, I ended up also at the same time coming across this person who I had this really strong reaction to. I actually hated him <laughs> from first sight. Um at the time, I'd been in a meditation group for about 10 years, so I did understand a little bit about past life memories and reincarnation. But, um, yeah, at the time, it was really difficult to try and integrate what was happening in my present life with what was happening, I guess, in my dream life and in that, that subconscious memory type of thing. Uh, so, yeah, I went through quite a stage of trying to work out what the hell was going on. Um, and come to terms with um, the reality that, that I was being bombarded by this whole series of memories from a past life and also the people um, from that past life who had kind of returned back to my current life, especially this one person. Um, so I ended up being stuck on a retreat with this person who um, I hated <laughs> at first sight um, in my meditation group, and it was really difficult at first. I hated him. I wanted to seriously do violent things to him, and I'd never met him before. It was so disruptive. And um, eventually we spoke because I just couldn't handle it anymore, that, that kind of tension, that unspoken tension, and he was kind of having the same sort of experiences. And we ended up realising that we'd both been in this life together and we shared a whole lot of different experiences from that life and we ended up becoming somewhat good friends. It was a very strange friendship, to tell you the truth. But what we got out of it was a story, I guess. Um, he provided quite a few details, like, you know, the time frame and the uh, place. But for me, I, um, I ended up writing the book and um, we, we kind of lost touch. 
after a while. So, yeah, the book is is a product of about 11 years of, of kind of trying to fit it into my life while I lived and brought up my kids. Uh, and, and, yeah, it's basically based on my memories of that time with a little bit of help from, from this person who um, gave me a little bit of insight into it. Fascinating. So tell me a little bit about the dreams. Like, when did they start? How did you feel? Like, when you woke up, did you, did you, you know, probably weren't able to fall asleep, or did you start writing around? Just, it's kind of interesting. I'm kind of fascinated with this whole um, past life recollection through a dream. Um, yeah, the dreams, I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm so sorry. Let me just get rid of these. These are my sons, and they're making noise to get those earphones to work, and now they're just being annoying. Um, so basically with the dreams, they, they were really vivid, and I was running away. It was me, but it wasn't me. You know that thing about dreams, it's you? But in this dream, it was me, but it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. It was somebody else. Um, but I felt those emotions as though it was me and those, those feelings and those experiences. And she, uh, she was in the desert and she was running away from something. And there was a full moon and the sky was just bright with stars. And she was trying to get away from what I interpreted to be a lynch mob. And that's something that I um, haven't written about yet because it's towards the end of the whole story. Um, and what I've done is only book one at the moment. There's three books in the series. It's quite a long sort of series of memories. And at the start, it was only this one dream that just kept tormenting me over and over again. But then later on, I started having other memories of, of her life from the kind of beginning. So are you having any physical reactions to these dreams? Physical reactions as in like a trauma stress reaction, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I'd wake up um, just, you know, with that classic, just what the hell's going on, heart pounding, sweat, you know, all of that trauma reaction, yes. Wow. Um did you consider seeing like a hypnotist or anything like that to find out what was causing the dreams? Um, I kind of knew what they were fairly early on. I, I think I went into a little bit of denial at first, um, but I, I did understand what they were. And I, at, at the time, because they were so dark, I didn't want to um, pursue them or, or go into them. Um, you know that thing, like later on I did go into them and I did kind of ride the wave, I guess you could say, but it was it ended up getting really unpleasant um, because it after a while of kind of focusing on that, people in my everyday life that I've just come across, whether I knew them or not, I'd get these like memories of them from previous times and often they were quite unpleasant. And um, I actually had to switch that off for the most part, but... Yeah, once I started going into that past life at the retreat, it, it opened something up in me and, and um, yes, there were good memories too, but we've done some really hideous things, I think, all of us in previous lifetimes and it's it's not actually very pleasant going back. Hmm. About what time frame did this uh, event take place that you were starting to recall? Um, it's We kind of dated it back 
as far as you know we could to 3800 bc in ancient sumer interesting so um what were some of the other characters that or people in your life that came up was there anybody you know that that we would be aware of today mm, um nobody famous but um you know it's weird when you um when I was tuning into all of that, it's almost like a deck of cards and they're kind of the same cards, but they get shuffled differently. Um, <laughs> if my mother ever listened to this, she'd think I'm mad because I come from a very scientific family, but my mother at the time was my son. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another, um, the, the, back then she had two sons. So one of them is my mother now. And the other one uh, was somebody I was together with quite a while back, like 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it can be anyone, really, that whole card shuffle. So this sort of falls into the idea that we are have, that we have a soul group that we are reincarnated yeah. with over and over again. And everybody mm-hmm. gets to yeah. play a different role in each lifetime. Mm. Yes, that's right. And, and back then, um, I mean, I guess the, the basic story of the book is that she's an orphan. She's been orphaned. Um, she's kind of sold out by her uncle because her uncle can't afford to feed her. And she finds herself as basically an indentured, indentured slave at this, um, desert compound in the middle of nowhere. And, um, she meets this guy called Calum. Well, not Guy, he's about 10 at the time and she's about 7. And they kind of sort of grow up together. Um, and there's a whole lot of stuff that happens after that where she, um, quite a few crises happen and um, she gets sold off to a brothel. Um, so, yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff that happens um, before they find themselves again. But, uh, yeah, it, it you know, Remembering that and remembering the people in that time and then having almost, like you said, a physical reaction to those people on realisation of who they were back then. Um, yeah, it, it's, it was really quite strange. Wow. In the character in your dream um, that was you mm. was also having visions, correct? And it was yeah. doing some kind of warning? Yeah, so she's um, she's got this thing I call the knowing um, and it gets her in trouble quite a lot, especially because she's growing up in this desert compound where there's a lot of superstition. Um, so she's got this kind of, I guess, you, in the book, it's kind of like a direct line to the gods, to the place of the knowing. Um, and what comes through is stuff that's really uh, in contrast to the superstitions of the day. Um and she's been told by her parents when they were alive not to really talk to people about that because the parents understood um, what was coming out of her and, and they knew that she had to kind of keep quiet until the time was right for her to be able to speak or that until it was safe to speak. So she adopts this new family, which are the servants, and she, um, she re- you know, she's too young to understand that the servants are not really her family, but she's taken them on as family. So... Yeah, she gets in trouble a few times with just speaking out of turn and and saying things that that could earn her uh, to be sent away hmm. or to you know be seriously punished because they go 
in such opposition to the to the superstitions of the day. Yeah. It's almost like you were having visions of somebody having visions. <laughs> now I'm wondering if her visions were having visions. <laughs> oh no, you're blowing my mind now. When I was writing it, it was um I saw it like a movie. It was so weird. It, it I'm, I mean, you know, there were chapters where I'd bang my head against the wall for days on end and sometimes weeks or months and I just had to come back to it later. But when the flow was there, it was like I was seeing it like a movie. Interesting. So so tell me about this guy now, the guy that you hated. <laughs> and um, how did that first yeah. conversation go down? Did you, like, walk up to him, like, after meditation class? Like, and you're supposed to be all peaceful and stuff? You're like, by the way, oh. you know, I just hate you for no reason. <laughs> so um, I had a big break because I just had a baby and then the baby was old enough for me to be able to leave him for quite a few hours. So off I went and I was expecting this really beautiful return, nice and peaceful. I was so desperate for some peace because at the time that was when I wasn't sleeping and, and I was just not myself. So I turned up to this lovely group and said hello to everyone and we all sat down. It was in somebody's lounge room back then. And then this guy just turned up and he, oh, actually, no, he was already there taking up the good spot on the couch. And I just looked at him and just went, I, I just, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. I just looked at him and went, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just so angry at him. And, um, you know, I'd only just met him. So social dictates, you you know, you, you just don't go up to somebody and go, fuck you, especially in a meditation group. So I tried to shut myself up and I just sat there. And, you know, we usually go into silence and we usually kind of try and tune into the silence and relax. And usually oh, I'm not great at that, but I love that bit. And um, all I could hear was this, it was like interference. And it was coming off him. And I'm not, I don't identify as psychic. I, I don't, you know, I grew up in a scientific family. That stuff to me, I've got this funny contradiction in myself where that stuff's all bullshit mm -hmm. according to what I learned growing up. And, you know, I've done a science degree majoring in anatomy and physiology. So all that stuff, it, it's really hard to accept that it's there. Um, so on one hand, I was like, no, this isn't happening. And on the other, I was like sending him these psychic messages saying, shut up, just shut up. I hate you to shut up. And then at one stage, the, the interference, whatever that was, there was this just sound and it reminded me of a mosquito buzzing around my head. And, um, I sent him this psychic attack I don't even know how I did it but I just sent him this like cannonball from my gut and he stopped he shut up and I he actually I heard him just go like that in he didn't grunt or anything but I heard him like jerk yeah. on the seat oh, god it was so weird and um I said to myself this is just not happening this is not happening and then at lunchtime oh god it was like the air between us was this just war zone. It was so weird. Um, and he was staying with a, a um, mutual friend and 
she called me later and she said, what have you done to this guy? <laughs> what's going on? I said, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. This is so weird. And I told her about what had happened. And she said, Penny, you've got to talk to him. And I said, how can I talk to him when all I want to say to him is just expletives and, and abuse? Um, so it was a few weeks before I did actually talk to him and, and we had this very halting conversation where I think I just went up to him and said, I'm pretty sure you feel this too, what the hell's going on? Um, and he's he was quite strongly psychic, so he had, I guess, a little bit more experience of this than me. He, um, yeah, he started kind of talking a little bit. He didn't make much sense. He's mm-hmm. one of those people who kind of says very um, obscure things and then you've got to interpret them. Um, so, yeah, he he gave me a few very strange answers. Um, but that initial conversation kind of settled it down a little bit. But uh, every single time I ended up meeting with him at this meditation group, the interference was just unbelievable and I had to really be mindful of tuning him out. Um, and I struggle enough to meditate as, as it is. So, But there was this really weird thing that happened about probably a year before. Um, no, actually, it was only a couple of months before, to tell you the truth. It was a New Year's Eve party. And this is why I knew um, when I met this guy at the meditation group that it was a past life memory because I had this experience um, at this party. And I was there with my husband at the time. Um, and it was a whole bunch of his friends. And there was this other guy, um, maybe we'll just call him, I don't know, Ian, just for the sake of it. I can't even remember his name. So Ian turns up, I've never met him before. Um, and I had this really strong reaction to him. It was like I wanted to slap his face, but at the same time I wanted to, you know, do something really intimate with him, like rub my hand up the back of his neck. And it felt like he was a previous lover, but I'd never seen him before. Um, God, I sound like a fruit loop. It was just so bizarre. And I was so um, confused and upset by this reaction I'd had with him that um, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say I got really drunk that night, like really, really drunk, because it just really upset me. And I knew, I, you know, part of me knew because, again, I'd been in the meditation group for a while. I understood that when you have a really super strong reaction like that to somebody, you're likely having a past life. Uh, memory and you, you, you've known them before. So this this other guy, Ian, he turns up, I meet him and I'm like, just like, oh my God, what the hell? And it was basically the first time this sort of thing had ever happened. And um, I got so drunk I blanked out and I can't remember what I did. But the next morning I woke up with this memory of him just looking at me going, you don't know me from a bar of shit, how dare you make these accusations against me and and you're just a nutcase just piss off and I I heard from other people that I've been following him around going you're a rat you're an asshole you're gonna cheat on your new wife and you get <laughs> yeah and so um a little while later after I'd gotten over my hangover I asked the universe what the hell was that about and I had this dream where it was him and I, but it wasn't him and I, and we were together in the 20s, and we had very rich families, and we were somewhere in the US, like Reno or somewhere. I don't even know. 
And um, I could see down to the curtains, you know, the velvet curtains with peacock feathers and all that stuff. And we were getting married or they were getting married. Um, and they were the party couple. Um, and it was this whole story where they got married, they had kids, and the kids slowed her down, but it didn't slow him down. Um, and then the depression hit in the 30s and they were kind of relegated to this little apartment and they, you know, he used to go out drinking every night still. And, and the end of the dream, she was sitting at this kind of cracked lino table and she had this can of money or what should have been money, this tin, you know, like those old biscuit tins. And um, it was empty because he'd taken all the money and gone drinking and gambling and whatever. Um, and so the end of the dream was him coming home with his pockets inside out and, you know, lipstick all over his collar and um, just shit-faced. And she got up and she threw the tin at him. Um, and that was the end of the dream. Um, and I've since had other memories of her. Um, unfortunately, she had a really terrible experience uh, in the Second World War. I don't know what that is and I don't want to know. And she drank herself to death, unfortunately. Um, and when I was a kid, I used to have all these dreams about the, that I was drifting around this house. Um, and it was really bright and all the furniture was on the front porch or front lawn. And the kitchen was this like 1950s kitchen. It was like a full on 1950s house. Um, and you know, one of my parents' friends, when I was about 10, I told them the dream and they said, oh, well, maybe it's, you know, a past life memory. And at the time I was like, oh, what a load of crap. <laughs> but um, actually, I, I think that was my past life. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was like a, a kind of learning experience, I guess, for this next one, the, the big one, I guess, um, that, that inspired the book. Wow. So uh, how, how did the friendship go with uh, the guy at the meditation group? You said it was strange. How, how strange was it? It was really strange because um, this guy, we'd been together before in quite a few past lives. Um, and I was married. And um, he's really not my type, this guy. So it was fairly safe in that way because I've just... I didn't have that sense of attraction, but at the same time, there was this real pull towards him. So we, we actually got really close for a while, um, really close, like not physically, but just we would talk all the time and, and it got a little bit too much, I think. Um, I, you know, that thing with, um, with people who are very intuitive and, and psychic, if they're in a dark place, what comes through them isn't great. And he was very psychic. And, I, you know, like I, at the time I was going through a lot of crap in my life, so I wasn't, I wasn't in the best place either. And I kind of <laughs> almost used him as my oracle, my personal oracle, um, and that didn't go down so well because um, it, the things that he saw were a bit hit and miss mm -hmm. um, of the future and stuff. He was having like little visions of the future and stuff like that. And, um, uh, yeah, anyway, we, we just, um, we kind of eventually drifted apart because I realised that 
it was quite dysfunctional, the friendship. And, um, it was based on after a while, just pumping him for information <laughs> about stuff because, um, I wanted to know what was happening and what was in the future and stuff like that. And, um, he, I think, really struggled to make close friendships. So, um, you know, I was introducing him to my friends and stuff. Uh, so it was kind of this mutually beneficial relationship that wasn't really based on giving from the heart. It was more based on, I guess, appeasing our insecurities, me about the future, him about, you know, um, whatever his were. Uh, so yeah, I think anything, any friendship like that's kind of destined to fail <laughs> in the end. And, and, you know, in the story back then, um, it, it started off really well. Um, but yeah, they, they, they had a bit of a wild ride, but that's in future books that I haven't written yet. What kind of information were you pumping them for? Like what was going on that you were trying to resolve by using his psychic abilities? Is it personal? Is it something you can't talk about? Or mm, it was um, part of, there was a lot of personal, but also world events because he'd had certain visions of world events that um, that he was concerned about. So we we got a little bit carried away with um, oh god, you know, certain unmentionable flus at the moment. Um, he had had a few visions of that coming and. Um, you know, a whole lot of stuff around that that I'm not even going to talk about because it was, in one way, he was kind of spot on and in another, it's about a very controversial aspect of that. And um, I don't even want to go there in a way on any kind of media because it's it's such a no-go subject at the moment. So probably best not to go into it. <laughs> you could probably guess what I'm talking about. Well, obviously you're talking about covid yeah, mm. and certain medical interventions and stuff that he had had visions about that um, were not going to go so well. Uh, so, so, so it's just, there was sort of an anti-vax angle to this. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then there were a few flus that came along in the meantime because this was like ten years ago. Um, so there were a few false alarms and stuff like that um so yeah I, I really honestly think that yes he was maybe tapping into something but at the same time it wasn't the whole story mm -hmm. and i think that's that's the trouble with um you know psychic visions that they're, they're really you know interesting and all that and i'm fascinated by it all but i don't think it's ever the complete whole story you know it's glimpses right. of stuff what is interview last week somebody named his name is mark ireland and what he does is he certifies mediums and psychics and mm. um like a, a, a good psychic will be accurate 70 percent of the time mm. so so the other 30 percent what happens is when they pick up the information it's not so much that the information is wrong it's the person's ability to interpret it because Say you're receiving information about medical thing. Well, like, like you're a medicine person, that wouldn't be a good example. So say you're receiving information, um, I don't know, about like an oil refinery or something like that. You wouldn't know how to interpret it because you're interpreting things through a medical view. 
and but yeah. you're going to try to put take what you know and put it through that lens anyway and whatever comes out yeah. comes out and, th- mm-hmm. and that's why there's um only a certain amount of accuracy people can get through using psychic abilities yeah that's right hmm. yeah and it's really interesting um the meditation teacher he's um he's put together this big structure of, of a person and how that person on all of those levels relates to the levels different levels of reality in the universe um and I, I really love seeing that whole structure because you can see um it, you know it's when you're looking at that psychic uh, realm it's only one up from the physical and you know this kind of also resonates with eastern teachings as well where um you know that seven times seven layers so mm-hmm. there's seven layers of reality starting from the physical and all the way up to whatever you want to call that nirvana um so the physical and then there's the astral and the astral is where you go when you dream usually right. and that's where a look where the psychic visions come from so if you've got that lower psychic you're in you're coming from um an area in that whole spectrum of reality that's that's kind of a bit dark and not not showing you much at all once you get into those upper astral you're closer to i guess uh what the teacher my teacher would say is the heart realms um and they're more inclusive of, of the whole of reality uh, when you're getting to that higher those higher levels so obviously you have some psychic ability i mean you're, you you had dreams kind of like a um like Casey sort of type of thing there. <laughs> um, yeah. And you're dreaming about somebody who's having their own visions of, of something else. And yeah. You're, and you're um, having psychic interference with somebody in your meditation. Mm. Have, have you done anything or considered doing anything to enhance your own psychic abilities in order to better interpret some of the information that you're receiving? Um, what I've done is found myself a meditation group that's very heart-based. Um, and that's been like a revelation for me because, um, it's not necessarily enhancing my psychic abilities, but it's allowing me to kind of even rise above that in a lot of ways and, and, um, connect to something, you know, bigger than that. Or, or um, oh God, it's really hard to explain. The psychic stuff for me is secondary to, to wanting to understand more. I want more than that. I want more than psychic. I want to understand the structure of the universe and how, how I fit in, and not only how I fit in but how humanity fits into that. Um, and that's, I think, beyond psychic. So you're looking for I want the big re- answers. Yeah, I want the big answers. And you can't get that, I think, from, you know, oh, I know a channeler. And um, God, it depends on what the channeler's mood is. And to me, you know, I'm not, I'm not dissing channeling because I'm sure that there's a value for it. Um, but 
from where I sit, it's almost like they just open them. So it's like having a house and plonking it down somewhere. You could be, I don't know, in the middle of nowhere or you could be in a really bad part of town or you could be in a nice area. But it's like plonking that house down and just opening all the doors and turning all the lights on and saying, come on in, and you don't know what you're going to get. <laughs> that, to me, that right. freaks the crap out of me. Right. From, from a channel, yeah. Um, but there are methods to have your own direct experiences. Um, things like um, flow tanks, isolation chambers, binaural beats, um, mm. hallucinogenics. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And before I joined the group, I, I quite enjoyed a few times, a few experiences with hallucinogenics. And, and that was partly because I grew up in such a, you know, intellectual household and, and there was this part of me that just knew there was more. So, um, hallucinogenics kind of, you know, they were the beginning, but being able to, um, join a meditation group and have those experiences, uh, they're, they're a lot softer. They're a lot more gentle. Mm. They're a lot more real without the hallucinogenics. And, and, you know, they're few and far between. I've got a really busy mind and I've got a lot of stuff that I do in, in the outer world, I guess. I'm constantly working or cleaning or mothering children. So yeah, I, I live for those little moments. And I, I've heard your story on one of the other podcasts of when you had the seizure and, and, um, you know, I guess all of those layers were lifted away and, and, um, you know, what you saw and everything. I think it is possible to, to have those, maybe not to reach that same experience again, because it's always different, but to have those experiences through meditation. It is possible through meditation, but I think meditation, it depends. I think it depends on what type of meditation. It depends on the person. Um, yeah. so, so there's all kinds of different factors. Because like I've also been practicing meditation for a very long time. But none of my meditation experiences ever came close to what I had during that seizure. Mm. You know, that yeah. was just completely mind-blowing. You know, and if, I yeah. could, and if I could, I would stop taking medicine right away and just stare at strobe lights all day having seizures because it was that cool. But unfortunately, yeah. I want to keep my driver's license. Yeah, and your life. Well, maybe Every I could day. do without the life part, but... Cause, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just a... Uh, um, I don't know, a clump of skin and hair. Mm. And there's, I think there's a lot of experience from the physical body, um, you know, to be able to reach those states. Our physical bodies are really dense and we're still kind of, I guess, learning how to, how to transcend that. I think so. You know, I mean, that, that, that is a lot of what my podcast has to, is about is about you know trying to explain um different ways of experimenting with our consciousness to find out that we're not just a body yeah um you know in different methods i think work for different people so you can't just, mm. like, i can't just stand by one particular method or, no. or say another method doesn't work um but i do think that that direct experience is really important because even for me to try to describe it is impossible yeah you can only experience it but you can't really describe it in human terms 
No, no. And the experiences I've had too through meditation, they've come about by accident. I, You know that thing when you're least expecting it? Mm-hmm. And when I'm most expecting it, it doesn't come. Um, but, yeah, it, the first time I ever had any kind of experience like what you described, um, I'd been travelling for a long time and I was in the mountains of New Zealand by myself and I was walking. Um, I, I decided just to do a little bit of, of trekking and I'd, I'd spent probably two or three days alone with my thoughts, which just go round and round and round in my head. And um, I'd not done any kind of meditation before, but um, the walking was almost like a meditation. I'd done a bit of yoga and, you know, I, I knew the concept of it. Um, but I was, you know, just walking, walking, walking. By about day three, there was this moment where all of a sudden I just ran out of thoughts. And um, there was this moment of silence. I was like, oh, wow, what's this? And all of a sudden... I stopped walking and I was there in, I expanded and everything was me, but it wasn't the me, ego me. It was just this other part of myself, I guess you call it that, you know, super conscious or whatever above part of myself. And I was the valley, I was the birds, I was the trees. It, it was like, you know, almost an explosion, but it was this silent explosion that just went out in this huge, great big circle. And um, I, <laughs> I totally broke down in tears. I sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. And then there was this presence that I talked to that was, um, I could ask it any question and it, it would tell me the answer. And it wasn't a verbal thing. And that stayed with me for quite a long time after that trip. But, um, and it wasn't drug induced, that one. That was, you know, just through walking and spending time alone. But, um, at the time I was in my early twenties and, um, I saw too much and I couldn't handle it. So eventually it shut down because I, I just, I wasn't ready to see that level of, to see through things that much. I, I just couldn't cope. Hmm. How do you feel about it now? If it was, if that would have happened to you now. Would you embrace it? Yes, and I've had similar experiences, but um, I it's so funny. It's almost traumatic to have those experiences because there's this incredible opening and I don't want to come back from it. it exactly like what you said, I don't want to come back into my body. Um, I just want to stay up there. It's so beautiful, you know, the heart and the love and the connectiveness and the you know, I don't necessarily hear music or see colours or anything, but it's this incredible inner experience where all this knowledge comes at me and all this knowing and all this beauty and incredible, just everything, connection, connection, connection. And um, I, I seriously don't want to come back, but then I do come back and it's almost like I can feel myself holding on even tighter, like the, the, <laughs> like Nemo. I don't know if you've seen Finding Nemo where he's holding onto the whale's tongue mm-hmm. and Dory's going woohoo and enjoying all the back and forth water and, and you know, Nemo's just holding on to the tongue going, I can't let go. <laughs> and that's kind of how it feels for me because I've got this other life where I have to clean the house and, and you know, I'm a natural therapist so I can embrace kind of both sides in my work. But um, oh, because of, I think because of my conditioning, I'm a scientist, 
well, I grew up with scientists, so my conditioning is is that mainstream science. And yes, I know all of that stuff about how um, you know hardcore physics is starting to merge now with um, with spiritual teachings of the East and all of that kind of thing. I, I understand that intellectually, but I can't let go into it. Um, you know, there's this part of me that's just not ready yet. So there's these two parts to myself and one of them's like Dory going, come on, just enjoy the beautiful flow. And, and the other part's like, no. <laughs> that's actually going to be my next question, you know, because quantum physics does lean towards everything being non-physical, non-physicality. Is is pretty much, you know, what it is. I mean, what we see as physical is just vibration, but it's not actual matter. Yeah, and, and, and even that doesn't exist without an observer. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that just blows my mind. That stuff. I just, yeah. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's it's interesting, you know, and it goes right along with like sort of like the Buddhist idea of of everything is emptiness. It mm -hmm. really is just empty. It's just void. It's nothing. I think um, it's nothing, but at the same time, that nothingness contains this incredible intelligence. Probably. It, it contains something that we can't describe, that's for sure. Yeah. And then what's beyond that, I don't even know. I can't wait to find out. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever? How many? How many kids do you have? Three. Three. How old are they? Uh, my daughter's twenty, my son's fourteen, and my youngest son is twelve. Oh, big! You, you could pack up and go live in a cave somewhere with them. <laughs> I I don't want to do that. I want to live in in the the main. I want to live in the world, but I you know that thing. I want to bring the two together. I think that's the whole point of this whole journey that we're all on is that there is all of that up there and there is all of this down here and somehow we're supposed to integrate it in ourselves as, as you know, it's all one, you know, all of that stuff. I think we're, we're supposed to integrate that um, in the one consciousness somehow. I don't know how, like that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, yeah, I want that answer. And, well, I get glimpses of it where, you know, there's these two opposites that just don't go together. And then, you know, once in a while, like I'm talking one second out of my mm -hmm. almost 50 distance, I'll go, oh, that's how they go together. And it's so easy and it's so obvious. And then I come out of that and go, oh, how did I see that as together? Because you see outside of the rational mind. The rational mind can't do it. Yeah. Rational mind only only understands duality. That's it. And and there's something beyond the rational mind that can put those two, you know, totally wrong pieces together and they fit beautifully. And, I mean, yeah. And, you know, all of those differing opinions, all of those things that we make more about, all of those things that just don't go together with humanity and, and with our minds, I guess, all yammering and arguing away. There's some place, and I've been there, I've been there a few times, I've been there in dreams, I've been there in just, you know, little one-second glimpses in meditation, and I just want to go back to those because it, it, it's there, it's possible. 
we, we just haven't reached that ability to do that yet in our everyday minute by minute lives. But the potential's there. If we were able to integrate the two, the, our, our normal everyday life reality and the, the true reality, mm. what do you think the result would be? Well, that's where we have peace on earth. I think that it's only through that integration, that ability to acknowledge both. And I'm not just talking about the upper and the lower realities. I'm talking about, um, you know, if you and I were to violently disagree over something, that violent disagreement here in that intellectual sphere or whatever you want to call it, somehow fits together. They're like two sides of the same coin up hmm. there. <laughs> well, that's why I don't disagree with anybody, because I believe that even two <laughs> opposites can both be the correct point of view. Yeah, that's it. And it's, I mean, you know, it's not even, uh, that middle road, you know, that ability to kind of see both sides of something can be really hard. But I think at the moment, the way we're going humanity-wise, um, that's where we need to go because otherwise we're we're kind of screwed. So, so what, you know, I do a lot of um, episodes on, you know, the topic of extension and, and spiritual awakening and, you know, the, the new mm. age of Aquarius and, and, and all these different types of to uh, spiritual topics that are about, you know, awakening humanity to like this idea that we're more than what we are and we have access to other dimensions. Um, yeah. do, you, do you ascribe to that belief? Yeah. Um, I think there's different levels of it, though. You know, anyone can have a little spiritual awakening and, and then think that's it. But um, as far as what I've read and what I've experienced, it's not, you know, you, you can't just call yourself done by having one spiritual awakening. I think um, it's a series of constant um, little awakenings because if, you know, those people who have these massive spiritual awakenings and, and they find themselves, I don't know, with higher consciousness without having kind of grounded the body first, I'm sure they've got really wise things to say, but they can't even feed themselves. You know, those people, I mean, I, I saw some guy on, on YouTube, everybody was flocking to him and he was saying the most amazing things, but, but then in the middle of it, he'd make sounds like a chicken. You know, we are all one. And you think, well, hang on. That, that's awesome to be able to bring through that information. But if you can't even wipe your own butt, how do you, um, you know what I mean? How do you bring that to the people in a way that's, um, that makes sense? So you've got to be able to have that physical, I guess, um, base right from where you're working at and then you know somehow try and integrate that together with, with what's going on up there and I, I don't think it's one first before the other I think it's just this gradual transition of yeah there's that up there oh yeah look what I'm experiencing up here and then oh yeah look I've got to kind of pay my bills and gradually bringing the two somehow into some kind of partnership integration so yeah I think it's it's just this very gradual 
process that that you do that you um you stay grounded but you also visit up there once in a while that's hard it's hard to do sorry it's hard to do it's so hard to do and i mean you know i'm not even sure if it's possible I think it's possible and it's not necessarily possible just over one lifetime. I think this is like many lifetimes work. Hmm. Cause I know like after my experience, I was never the same again. And, yeah. you know, and, and I wonder, you know, maybe I just went insane. Maybe I am insane. And I'm not coming back. You know, um, my concern about everyday life things is very minute now. You know, I could, I mean, I go to work to make money, but it's it's just mm. something I have to do, you know. Eating is sometimes even a chore. <laughs> you you know? don't sound very... I, I don't like doing those things, you know. I'd much rather try to find new ways to just blow my mind into another dimension. Yeah, that, that's fair enough, too, because the other dimensions are so much more interesting than having to go about your daily grind down here. How is it you think that we ended up here? Define here because that's the, the, the Sucko dimension. <laughs> <laughs> the Sucko dimension. Um, oh God, I've got my theories and I've also got a whole lot of info that I've learned along the way from the spiritual teacher that um, I've learned from. Oh, that's kind of the big question, isn't it? We. I reckon humanity, I reckon we're pioneers. And we've got these higher selves that we were enjoying. And at some stage we made this decision to explore the physical realms. Um, And we're not doing the best job of it. And I reckon one of the reasons we're not doing the best job of it is because we've got these really dense, bloody, fleshy, physical bodies that just block everything. And I know... Um, you know, for people who have had near-death experiences and things like that and they, they ditch their body for a little while and they're floating around in this amazing, beautiful space, you know, in the inner spaces, inner worlds, they have these incredible experiences because their body's not in the way anymore. And, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't think suicide is the answer because I think that kind of thing is, um, I mean, you know, obviously there are people so disturbed they can't, they don't feel like they can live anymore and, and I'm, I'm not making a judgment on that. Um, but, you know, to, to kind of go, oh, well, I might just kill myself so I can experience those awesome inner worlds, it, I don't think that would work as well as that natural death, getting rid of the body. It's like a natural process and the body kind of falls away. And, and you know, in dreams as well that happens where you're free of your body and, everything kind of comes at you, I don't know, thousands of times stronger. Hmm. Um, so we're, we're trying, I think, to, to overcome that problem of our bodies because here we are, these incredible spiritual beings, and we're encased in all these layers. You know, as we come down in that reincarnation process, first we start off with this beautiful, bright, shining, what do you want to call it, the soul, and then we're encased in this mental body, and, you know, the thoughts constantly going around and around and around in your head. And then we're encased in this astral or emotional body, feeling body, where we just get bombarded constantly with feelings. And then we have this physical body where, you know, we've got this kind of constant feeling of 
must survive, must survive, you know, oh, death's coming. You know, we're so vulnerable here in our bodies. And so we've, we've kind of encased in all this crap and then we have to somehow, um, you know, reconnect to that that sort of being which is incredible and huge but when we're stuck in a physical body we just we just lose that connection to it yeah yeah we do we do and, and, and that's the part i don't understand because one of the things that comes up a lot in my podcast people say we chose this i can't imagine myself yeah. choosing this <laughs> I know I question that all the time, like, what the hell are we doing? But I think at the moment where, you know, from what I've learned, humanity's right at the bottom of the pendulum and we're crawling our way back up, you know. We're crawling our way back up that ladder to get to a better connection, to, to overcome this problem with our bodies, to, to become closer to that higher self again. And I, I think at the moment things are at their densest, um and, and most i guess materialistic so you know evolution i think we're we're slowly coming up again towards uh that mainstream acknowledgement I, I don't think we're there yet because the mainstream is still not acknowledging anything beyond you know how you should drive the latest car or or make lots of money and be really successful but i think there's this huge subset of people that are growing um who have completely just gone, I don't like that whole narrative. Mm. Um, I want something new. And that, that, you know, we're really seeing that shift towards something closer to, to what I think all of us have in our hearts as, as maybe an ideal, mm. whatever that is. So, so as a mom, how do you explain this to your children? Do you encourage them, oh, do good in school, get a good job, make a lot of money? Or are you like, no. you know what, kids, screw society and just do what you want? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that middle, I tell them to play the game. You know, they'll go, oh, this is so ludicrous what we had to do in school. It's so pathetic. I'm like, yeah, I remember feeling like that. But, you know, this is the society we're in. So you've got to play the game. And I'm not talking about manipulating things for your benefit. I'm kind of talking about that thing where you don't lose sight that there's there's other realities mm -hmm. and sometimes that's mm -hmm. really hard and you get lost in it, but it is what it is. But you've just got to bloody well play the game and unfortunately the game at the moment's not that nice and, you know, there are little opportunities where you can put little cracks in the game so that, you know, some other good stuff shines through. Um, but if you... If you do that whole, I mean, I was a real rebellion. I, I was really rebellious growing up because I could kind of, you know, I, I had a bit of trauma in my childhood. And when you go through trauma, I think it puts you on the outside of society. You know, all my friends were going on about the latest movies and, and, you know, what there was to eat and polishing their nails and stuff. And to me, that just seemed a little bit, Oh, I don't know. I just wasn't there in that whole mindset. So I stood out. I felt like I was standing outside looking in rather than being in. And all I wanted back then was to be in the middle of it. But now I look back and I realize it's kind of given me a little bit of perspective. Um, and people are so lost in the game, hmm. you know, that in the, 
and we all do. We all get lost in the game. But I think there's this whole other reality, whether you want to kind of relate it to the matrix mm -hmm. <laughs> or whatever. There's this, there's this other reality. And, you know, if you go around trying to impose that other reality on what we've got going on now, it's not going to end well. You know, like in, in the book with, with the main character, she realizes there's this other reality and she, she's, you know, speaking her mind and, and she, all she does is get in trouble. Um, so I think, you know, there's this, again, middle ground between not just rebelling against the system, but, but doing it in ways that bring about you know, deeper meaningful change rather than just smashing the system. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Um, when you had when you started having the dreams and started writing and, and became open to all these different possibilities, did it affect your life any? Like your regular life? Mm. Yep. And I had to shut it down as much as I could, and I had to stop writing. Um, because, yeah, everybody I met, I ended up having memories about from the past. So I was actually living in the past and I have a whole lot of little short stories kind of that I wrote at the time that, that got triggered from meeting people and having these memories. And I realised that I was relating to them based on those past memories rather than what's happening in the now. And those past memories a lot of the time were irrelevant to what's now and you know like you can say that you can meet somebody and have a a really bad impression first impression of them and react to them quite strongly um and that's that's one thing to do that but to to kind of go beyond that and go oh well that's because that person um oh i don't know cheated with my husband at the time i don't know 30 lifetimes ago and i ended up killing her you know like <laughs> It's, it's not relevant now. So, yeah, there's that little bit of sometimes a bad feeling or a good feeling when you meet somebody. And I think that it's also always good to trust your intuition um, with that. But to, to go into all the reasons why that came about, I think he's kind of trawling around in stuff that it's already happened. Um, there's already, you know, that whole system of karma, um, you know, anything that happens is a reaction. And I think what's that scientific saying um there's an action and then there's a reaction and i think that's the same with all of our actions all of our thoughts it it gets measured up somewhere else that i don't have to do that in my head or in my little consciousness mm -hmm. you know what i mean there's there's other stuff at play that that are, that's much bigger than just me getting the shits because somebody cheated on a previous incarnation of mine a million years ago. Hmm. Interesting. I'm sure what to say. You know, like I, I don't get too much of the past life stuff. You know, like like my mm. personally, like like I don't have, I don't get the memories coming back to me. It's one of the things I want to do this year is do some type of uh, past life regression to find out what all the things I did wrong so I can fix them and not have to keep coming back here. Um, you don't need to do that. Because that's done and dusted. You know what I mean? Like Right, but if I'm, if I'm here just to burn all that bad karma, well, I want to burn it all in one lifetime. Okay, well, do it. <laughs> do it in the now <laughs> because you've done all that. Like, you know, far out, the amount of trauma I've had from 
from these memories of, of the things I've done. Oh my God, I, I wish I didn't know because uh, God, it, it doesn't stop me from doing the things I do in this life to, to neutralize that karma. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It doesn't really make a difference. It only puts this really horrible slant on it because I remember all this hideous stuff and I, I can't even go back there because every time I do, I want to burst into tears and, and curl up in a corner and, and, you know, flagellate myself. We, none of us were very well behaved in the past. Um, and knowing the things that, that mostly it's been male incarnations when, um, previous versions of me have done stuff that I remember and just have gone, Oh my God. Um, yeah, I, I'd be more than happy not to remember that and not to have those sitting at the corners of my consciousness. And I'm already doing what I can do in my life to, um, you know, to do the best I can to neutralize karma. Hmm. I don't, I wish I didn't know actually. See, I do want to know it because otherwise all I'm going to do is waste my time seeking out fun things to do in this life and creating 10 more lifetimes for me because I'm not like this great caring person, you know? A lot of times, I'm just, a lot of times, I'm just sort of sulk seeking for pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what we do, isn't it? But what do you, do you want? A big, hefty dose of guilt to force you on the path? Is that what it is? Or no, I want to. I want to find out what karma I have, and then mm. uh, look for opportunities in this lifetime to correct those that karma, so I don't have to keep coming back. You know. So. I Okay, well, I would ask you then, um, in your present life, what kind of crises come at you? Because that's, that's basically, you know, we, we're not born clean slates and we, we attract that karma back at us mm -hmm. in previous times. And I, I do feel that our soul, um, feeds us the karma that we're ready to, and, you know, yeah, sometimes it's too much and we, we crack under that, but, um, we, we do, we make a deal with, with our soul and, and go, well, I'll pay this much off this time around. Well, I, I wonder, because like, like I'll say my biggest issue with this particular life anyway is loneliness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so I must have abandoned somebody in the previous life, I'm guessing. Mm. Okay. And um, with that loneliness, um. You know, how do you deal with it? Do you fight against it? Do you... Um... I fight it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I think, yeah, I think most of us um, have that loneliness inside as well. It's not, I mean, you know, maybe I don't know anything about you, but maybe that's reflected in your outer life. But, um, you know, that thing when you um, when you stop fighting it, it changes, but it's the fighting it that that kind of it feels natural because it's a negative thing and you don't want it in your life. But right. I, I I justify the fighting it as self care. <laughs> what do you do for self care? <laughs> or is that not <laughs> none of it's appropriate for this podcast? <laughs> Okay, let's not go there. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I can only go off what I've experienced and, and among that is, is loneliness, but also other, you know, various crises. And um, for me, got, I'm a fighter. I've got fire everywhere in my chart. I'm such a fighter. I'm such a rebel. And um, it's when I stop fighting that I can get that view, that, that higher view of things. And it, it doesn't happen very often because... I spend so long fighting it that when I'm so bloody tired, I can just hardly cope anymore. That's when the the insight comes, and it's an understanding for me. It's it's not even that the thing goes away; it's that I come to a better understanding of what's going on. And it's not I'm not talking about past life memories and stuff like that here. I'm talking about understanding of what's of the mechanisms that my personality are. are doing in my subconscious in the now to to cause you know we, we live in this giant mirror maze really in a way so whatever's going on with us in our subconscious it kind of gets reflected back at us so i i came to the conclusion after trawling around in all these past lives trying to fix my life basically or trying to understand my life better that it's that the answers aren't back there the answers are, are in you know in the now, here. And and that puts me in a bit of dilemma because I've got all these books to write. I've, I've also got a series about Atlantis mm. that's knocking on the door. And um, uh, you'll have, my, to, well, li- how you do have I... to listen to my Frank Joseph episodes. He's, oh, all right, because, Frank Joseph. Because he's written more books on Atlantis than any other author. Great. I, I want some insight. Yeah, I can hook you up with them. Because the little details I struggle with sometimes, knowing, God, is this right? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So, 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 do you think that your books that you're writing are a way for you to release that karma, the stories that you're telling, the morals of these stories? Hmm. Um. Possibly. Possibly, um, I'm not. Um, I'm not sure. I, all I know is that there's this pressure to write. I have to do it. I have to do it. Um, and I sit down, and some days I'm like, oh god, and other days it just and it flows. And I reckon for this book, the one that's published now, I've written probably it's probably just under eighty thousand words. I reckon I wrote about a million words. For that eighty thousand words. Yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> it's a labor of love, but um, yeah. So there's something in it. I, I don't know what it is, but there's something in it, and I'm really trying to do my best to get it through me in the best way possible to to satisfy whatever, whether it's karma, whether it's something else. To to um, you know that that highest expression of it. I, I don't know if I'm doing the right, the best job of it, but that that's my intention anyway. Would you consider? Yes. Would Would you compare your writing process to channeling? Yeah, a few people have asked me that, and um, no, because it's me. If I'm channeling, I'm channeling memories. But, from, how, how, but how do you even know that you're you? Because I've had experiences before you, where, okay, yeah, good question. That's that's fair enough. I had this. I was doing this yoga course once and um 
I decided just to do this meditation where I opened myself out and this thing attached itself to me. And I don't know how to explain it otherwise. God, I sound nuts. If I was listening to this, I'd be like, oh, this woman's a bit nuts. Anyway, this thing attached itself to me and it, it wasn't me. It was this thing that, that talked to me and, and it wouldn't go away. And eventually I think I went to a kinesiologist and they unhooked it all. But um, at the time it was, um, it was not me. And I, I never forgot that because um, it was such an unpleasant experience having this not me thing attached to me that, um, it, you know, and in the meditation group there's a lot of emphasis put on, yes, you don't just open to anything, you're open to your higher self, you're open to you because we have all the answers inside. It's just a matter of being able to... Um, you know, move past all the mental chatter and all that other crap. It's all there. And, you know, at times when I'm in a, a bright part of my life as opposed to a dark part, um, it just flows and it, it's me. And it reminds me of that time, on you know, when I was walking in the New Zealand mountains and, and that intelligence, it's an intelligence that's there that, that's, it's not, there's no fear, it's just me coming in. Um, I don't know how to explain it any other way, but um, yeah, it's almost like there's this internal immune system um, and mine's set to high because of, of that experience where this other thing attached to me and it was just, yeah, I really felt it was awful. So what was it, like some type of uh, negative spiritual entity that attached? And it, it didn't even feel horribly dark. It was just, it was quite, it was like, hi. <laughs> just so weird. Um, but, yeah, I, it was, it, it had its claws in me somehow and I didn't, it, it wasn't a part of me and I, I had to kind of get rid of it. What was it doing? It causing intrusive thoughts or talking in your head? Yeah, talking in my head, intrusive thoughts. Um, it was a very strange experience. Did it have a name? No, no, I, I didn't engage with it. I was just like, go away. <laughs> and how did you get rid of it? I went to a kinesiologist. What's that? Um, kinesiology is really very interesting. It, it's it's like it treats the body like a supercomputer. Um, and there are various kind of, um, have you heard of muscle testing? No. Um, they do this thing called muscle testing where um, basically they see a lot of what what's happening in in your um, subtle bodies, I guess you'd call it, uh, is experienced on the body in the body. So when you muscle test, you ask a certain question, like I, I don't know hydration levels. I guess that they start with they start with something fairly kind of bland, like whether you've got enough water in your system and they test um, yes or no. And then they they can do various little kind of, it's almost like programming that, that supercomputer inside you to um, accept more hydration. And then, you know, it gets kind of more and more um, sophisticated until it, it identifies various um, imbalances. I never heard of this. I'll have to look this up. I have to get a guest, or maybe you could suggest a person that you saw as a guest, because I've never heard of this. 
Ah, yeah, I can I can do that. I've got a few kinesiologist friends. I don't understand the exact concept because I'm a homeopath and nutritionist, so that that has that's a little bit of a different um, uh, whole concept. But it, you know, it kind of all works towards the same aim. So, as a homeopathic nutritionist, homeopath uh, and nutritionist, yeah, yeah, like I'm I'm like the worst with food because I don't cook. So I pretty much live off of like pierogies and chicken nuggets. Mm. Yeah. Is that bad? Yeah. Well, when you consider, right, here we go. If you don't get, I mean, I'm just going to take it down to the mineral level now. You need certain minerals and, and vitamins to be able to make your neurotransmitters properly. So if you're living on a diet of chicken nuggets and whatever else you said, pierogies. Mm -hmm. What are they? Oh, they're like these round doughy things with potatoes inside of them. Okay. If you're living off that, how are you meant to get all of the nutrients, the minerals and vitamins needed to make your neurotransmitters in order to be able to even think straight, let alone feel the right way in yourself? I take a multivitamin. <laughs> and what about protein? You know, like well, chicken all of those is meals. protein. Yeah, chicken nuggets. It, are they though? Chicken. Those chicken nuggets. Is it, yeah. or is it like, is it like protein extender? Oh, I don't know. I don't even know what a protein extender is. I know there was such a thing. <laughs> there is. Okay, here's your challenge. I dare you to go and look at those ingredients on the back of those boxes. Next time you cook them up <laughs> and hold them next to your body and ask your body honestly if it's receiving those things happily or not. Should I buy a juicer and just drink kale juice? Because <laughs> I've actually thought about this because you have like these new self-cleaning juicers. Mm, oh, really? Yeah. Cleaning? Yeah, they're self-cleaning. Like, once you're done juicing, you just pour water in it, and it cleans itself out. That's really exciting. I've you're, got one at... And they're only 100 bucks on Amazon. I'm going to totally look that up, because I've got this enormous one that takes, like, 20 minutes to clean. I, that, that's I why I never it. bothered it, because you had to take them apart. you got to put them together. But if I have a self-cleaning juicer, maybe I could just throw stuff in there and make stuff that's kind of healthy. And not even have to cook yes, anything because I don't like the cooking. Cooking is such a pain, especially as a single guy. Yeah, it is a pain. Um, you know, if you fill your fridge with celery, kale, you need to be a little bit careful with pour boiling water over it before you um, throw it in because raw kale um, can interfere with your thyroid. Um, you know, your carrot and, and um, beetroot's really good for the blood. You know, mix it up a little bit each time and get yourself some good protein. Um, you know, I don't know, Cook just cook up a chicken fillet and then have a juice. And that, that yeah, that will feed you really well. I might do that then because I have to do something. Because mm. I know I'm not eating well. <laughs> and your body will thank you for it. But not only your body, I think, um, you know, that thing when you eat relatively clean, um, you, you function differently on the inner levels as well, I think. If I start eating better, well, I have a less desire to escape my body. 
I would say yes, because when I was studying at uni, I lived on beer, chips, gravy, and um, cereal, <laughs> breakfast cereal. <laughs> and I felt like utter crap in myself. I felt toxic. You know what I mean? And then um, after I left uni, I went travelling and, you know, did all that stuff mm-hmm. that you do while you're travelling. Mm-hmm. So that's not really great for you either. But then I came back, I started learning nutrition and started realising um, just how important it is. And it's not just about honouring your body. It's about honouring, um, you, you know, that whole, I mean, our bodies are carrying this beautiful, incredible higher being and you Feeding it potato pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought of my body though as anything of value. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like you know, it's it's just here. I'm not really that thrilled with it. No, but I think that's also part of the problem if we because I thought that as well. Like, I hate being here. I don't want to be here. I feel like there's so much beautiful and then, stuff. And then even if I look at myself, like, even looking at myself now on Zoom, I keep thinking, like, God, I don't have a freaking chin. <laughs> well, I don't either, but I'm 50. <laughs> and I'm 54. <laughs> Are you 54? Well, you know. <laughs> but I, I think, you know, what does it serve you? to hate where you are like how is that really being useful to you it's not it's just how i feel yeah and and i get that but surely i mean for me if i mean if i look at it from the point of view of housework if i walk into my house and it's messy and i'm not the tidiest person in the world i have to make a big effort to tidy up i hate my house but if i bite the bullet and tidy it up even though I'm not really that enjoying tidying it up, because I, I mean, I've got better things to do. I've got three kids and I work. But, and, you know, it's way more fun to lose myself in my writing or whatever. Um, but if I bite the bullet and tidy it up, I love my house. Hmm. This is more my dog's house than it is mine. <laughs> I've got a dog too. He's here with me. Yeah. So, so, yeah, this is more his. I just come here to sleep and take care of him yeah this is is the ultimate dog house (laughs) well okay so there's another possibility of of creating a space in your house that's for humans that's for you yeah i think you're looking at it Mm. they don't let any animals in this room yeah so you've got your little space yeah this is the only room that's not the dog house (laughs) yeah i don't know it was when i started making little efforts in my environment little efforts towards my body little efforts towards just enriching my life enough you know that thing i think we we go on about the poverty mindset and how spiritual that is um but when i was in that poverty mindset all i was doing was hating on how broke i was and how i couldn't pay the bills and how um messy my house was but once i started really making a massive effort to to get my shit together i guess you'd say um 
And, you know, at first it makes no difference and you think, why am I bothering? And then after a while you start noticing little things, oh, that's kind of slotted into place a bit more. Oh, that has too. And, you know, like I, I went off the rails. I've been through pretty horrible trauma. I hated being in my body. But now I actually, I, I love my life. And I wouldn't have said that even 10 years ago. I hated it. I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to clean the house. I didn't want to change it. One more pooey nappy, all of that stuff. I didn't like it. But now I'm, I'm starting to really feel like I love my life. It's only taken this long. And um, it's to do with also for me doing that stuff that I really don't enjoy, the housekeeping, basically. And I'm not a domestic goddess. But being able to do the housekeeping and accept it as a part of living in a physical body. And that has been life-changing for me. Just accepting the basics of having to live in a body has been life-changing. And it's it's allowed me to get over that part of myself and rise a little bit higher in in what I'm meant to do here, which is so weird when you think about it because it, it should be the other way around, but it's not because now I no longer feel like I need to constantly escape mm. because I've brought a little bit of that down here with me, I guess. Hmm. I don't know how to... Uh work on that. The idea of it taking 10 years though is not too appealing. By then I'll be 64. I'm not even sure if I want to live another 10 years, honestly. It's a long what else, time. What else have you got to do in your life? What else are you going to do? I don't know. I just want to have fun. And it might be quick. Go to it the might beach. Be okay, let me ask you this then. Is, is doing all that stuff really fun? Because when I was just living to please myself, Nothing was fun. You know, I do all these things that should be fun. I was kind of numb to them. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that hasn't happened to me yet. Oh, good. All right. Okay, yeah, that, that's yeah. good. Yeah, senseless things still bring me great pleasure. It lost its flavor <laughs> for me after a while, like chewing gum. <laughs> In fact, if anything, like I actually enjoy it a little bit more now that I'm older. It's really oh, strange. Yeah, okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm surprised. Mm. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be 54 years old and, you know, still wanting to go to rock concerts and do all the crazy stuff I like to do. Oh, God, I'd love to go to some rock concerts. It is so much down. fun. No, no, not here. Oh, it's so much fun. You, you can come to Jersey. I'll take you to a concert. Oh, I'd love to go. Yeah. All right, March. We're going to March. <laughs> March. I love a good boogie. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. That's true. Yeah. But like, like, I don't know. It's, I have to get my shit together too, though. You're right. I think you can do both. I definitely you know, have to start I, eating I, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You start with one thing. However, I will say up to about a month ago, I was only eating out. And yeah. then, then this last month, I've started cooking for myself. So I've learned how to cook pierogies. I've learned how to cook chicken nuggets. Yeah. What else do I learn yeah. how to cook? I learned how to cook pizza, frozen pizza. So it's happening. You know, for me, it was a very gradual transformation as well. Just oh, one I can make thing hamburgers. And then I have hamburgers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as long as you throw some lettuce on. <laughs> yeah. 
The lettuce is expensive. That's one of the things too, is the healthy stuff's expensive. It is expensive, I know. But then, I mean, you know, I remember reading on some, you know, social media site, real food's expensive until you get sick and then, you know, sick care is expensive even more. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. <laughs> so, so this has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for coming on. Um, Thanks, Gary. It's been really fun. And before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and find your book? Mm, it's on, well, it's on all the usual stuff, Amazon. I Googled myself and I'm all over the place. Even if you just Google Oracle of Ur Penny Barron, it's it's all there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Booktopia. Um, all the usual places. Even apparently, it's even available in Kmart over there. It's not actually available in Australia at the moment yet until March, hmm. um, when the Australian distributor's coming. But um, I've got it here. I don't know. Yeah. How many pages like. is it? Mm. Three hundred. Bit, bit over three hundred. Yeah. It's a long book. Yeah. Is it? The especially, writing, especially if it's going to be a series. I mean, it's like you're writing Lord of the Rings. <laughs> no, the Lord of the Rings books were much longer. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have that much for those. But, yeah, no, there's, there's going to be three. I'm, I'm kind of almost finished the first draft of the second one now, so I'm moving into that one. But, yeah, it's, it's all there, um, the first one. Okay. Well, Through okay. one. What was that one? I will post a link to your book in the notes of this episode. And uh, if you have a website for your nutrition business, I'll put that in there too. Oh, okay. Well, why not? Thank you, Gary. Or, or yeah. if you have any other websites that you want to promote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. Oh, well, yeah, it's been really fun to, to chat with you today. Ah, you too. It was great talking to you. Thanks for being on. Um, it is the still morning there for you i'm heading into the evening yes what day is it there is it the eighth it's the eighth today okay so it's the seventh <laughs> it's so it's it is so weird that you guys are like a day in the future <laughs> it's so strange i know yeah it's already tuesday here <laughs> it's crazy all right awesome thank you again and i'll just hang on for one moment and i'm just going to play the outro Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll